You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lawrence Stryker, Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine. Intrauterine contraception is not just about contraception. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, your host, and with me today is Dr. David Grimes, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Intrauterine contraception is arguably one of the best and most underutilized forms of contraception currently available. Although intrauterine contraception is used by millions of women worldwide, only 2% of American women choose an IUD as their form of contraception. This is puzzling given that efficacy is superior to that of other contraception, and unlike sterilization techniques, the IUD is completely reversible and relatively inexpensive. In addition to the fact that the IUD is an ideal method of contraception for many women, the levonorgestrel IUD has many non-contraceptive benefits. Today we are joined by Dr. Grimes, who is internationally renowned in the fields of contraception, to discuss non-contraceptive benefits of the levonorgestrel intrauterine device. Welcome, Dr. Grimes. Thanks very much. Now, one clinical indication for the use of the levonorgestrel IUD is in the women with menorrhagia. Can you talk a little bit about who would be an appropriate candidate and what one can expect? There are two general candidates for the levonorgestrel device for this indication. One would be women who have idiopathic heavy bleeding, that is unexplained or unaccounted for by uterine pathology. And it's been shown in many, many studies to be very effective in this regard. Indeed, it's approved for this indication in more than 80 countries around the world. More recently, there have been studies looking at women with specific GYN pathologies, such as fibroids or adenomyosis in heavy bleeding. And in these studies, we also find the same nice benefits. So it can be used to control heavy bleeding in both women with and without GYN pathology. And what do you expect to see in these women in terms of amenorrhea rates? At what time and how well do they respond? Well, I'm cautious not to use the word amenorrhea because, okay. first of all, it's tough to spell, hard to pronounce, and it sounds scary. Right. This is not a pituitary tumor. So I call it freedom from menses, which like many that. women can relate to. Many women suffer a lot with their periods. But with regard to the frequency, overall, there's about a 90% reduction in measured blood loss. And after about a year with a device, as many as 20 to 40% of women will be completely free of menses, which many women view as a real blessing. Mm-hmm. And what is this mechanism of reduction of blood loss? It's a potent local effect with topical levonorgestrel. Levonorgestrel is released by the vertical stem of the device in very high concentration in the endometrial cavity, which is exactly where we want the medicine. So it's very effective local therapy, if you will, for a local problem. You mentioned, of course, endometriosis. If you're treating dysmenorrhea specifically, and if you're concerned that someone has endometriosis or adenomyosis, do you think that that's an appropriate indication? Based on limited evidence, I would certainly suggest yes. Now, it is effective in treating dysmenorrhea, although there have not been that many studies of this, but we know that dysmenorrhea or primary dysmenorrhea is caused by release of prostaglandins, and the obligate precursor of prostaglandins in the uterus is arachidonic acid. And with the levonorgestrel device in the endometrium, we get a thin, decidualized, atrophic endometrium, which is almost devoid of arachidonic acid, so you don't have the buildup of that precursor and thus don't have the prostaglandins. But there have been two recent randomized controlled trials in using the levonorgestrel device to treat women who have pain from endometriosis. And in these trials, it was shown to be superior to either watchful waiting 
or comparable in efficacy to luprolide acetate, but much cheaper. Sure. And do you differentiate between the woman with endometriosis and presumed adenomyosis? Oftentimes that requires laparoscopy or hysterectomy to make the diagnosis, but the evidence to date suggests it's going to be useful for both. Mm -hmm. And how about the nulliparous woman who has presumed endometriosis or adenomyosis? There's growing literature on using IEDs in women who've not been pregnant before. Indeed, there was a nice review in contraception recently by Prager and Darney out of UC San Francisco. Issues there relate to cervical canal width and so forth, but the World Health Organization gives nulliparity a Category 2 rating, meaning in general the benefits outweigh the risks. For people who are very comfortable placing intrauterine devices, they're not scared away, if you will, by the nulliparous women. But I think one of the reasons why the IUD is underutilized is because so many physicians are somewhat uncomfortable placing an IUD, and particularly in a nulliparous woman. So uh, do you have any thoughts on what one can do to reassure them that this isn't difficult? I think you're exactly right. An entire generation of American clinicians has grown up with little to no experience with IUDs other than removing them. And that's because back in the mid-1980s, the IUD almost disappeared from the American landscape due to the confluence of a number of bad factors, including a bad tort law, a bad press, and other issues. So we're enjoying a real renaissance now in the IUD, but the literature is quite supportive, and there are large numbers of reports out there of using IUDs in women who've not been pregnant before. So that the perforation rate, et cetera, is really not significantly higher? Very low. The secret here is that the magic is in the magician and not in the wand. Right. Uh, I like that. An experienced clinician, no matter what the MD or degree they have after their name, will have very low perforation rates in the range of one or two per thousand. So if you're reasonably adept at instrumenting the uterus, the risk of that complication is quite negligible. I'd like to talk a little bit about another indication, potential indication, endometrial hyperplasia. Um, What are your thoughts about using an IUD for both prevention and treatment of hyperplasia? There's a growing literature on that use as well, not only to treat endometrial hyperplasia, specifically complex or atypical, and also as a temporizing measure in women who have endometrial cancer yet who are terrible candidates for surgery, for example, grossly obese women or women who have complex cardiac disease. There are a number of case reports and case series reports on that, and there will be some comparative studies soon. So it's a promising lead. We know that oral progestins will work for many of these women, but compliance is a huge problem. And here we can put very high levels of levonorgestrel right in the uterus. And I think with the increasing rates of obesity in this country, this makes the IUD an even more perfect contraception, if you will. You're right, both for prevention and, as you said, treatment before. Uh, Also, in your introduction, you mentioned the levonorgestrel device has these nice benefits, but it's also important to understand that the copper and non-medicated devices... I was just going to ask you about that. (laughs) I anticipated that. Uh, Also protect against endometrial cancer. And that's not well known either by clinicians or by women. And what's the mechanism? I don't get it. It's because you don't get that nice decidualization from the progesterone. What one does get in the endometrial cavity in women using copper or non-medicated devices is a toxic soup, if you will, an outpouring of inflammatory cells. It's a sterile inflammatory foreign body reaction. And we're not sure of the mechanism, whether that phagocytizes early cancer cells or what, but the effect is really quite powerful. The reduction in a recent meta-analysis from the CDC was about 40%, which was statistically significant. Now, that's the same sort of protection one would enjoy with oral contraceptives. If you're just joining us, you are listening to a discussion on the non-contraceptive benefits of the intrauterine device on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and I'm speaking with Dr. David Grimes. I'd like to go back to the issue of treating hyperplasia a little bit. You mentioned complex. So you don't have a problem with uh, potentially treating complex hyperplasia with or without atypia? It's not just the simple hyperplasia? 
No. Again, if the woman is interested in having hysterectomy, that is, of course, definitive therapy, and a vaginal hysterectomy will take care of that. But many women want to preserve the possibility of childbearing down the road. And in the few reports that are in the literature, there's a very brisk response to the insertion of a levonorgestrel IUD in this setting. And as a practical matter, is there any problem with resampling the endometrium while the intrauterine device is in place? No, many clinicians are delighted to learn that one can leave the IUD in place and then do endometrial sampling with a device such as a Pipel, which will nicely go around it and get tissue out. So you don't have to take the IUD out. Mm -hmm. A problem, however, may be that the endometrial lining is so thin, it's difficult to get adequate sample for analysis. And then what do you do? Do you rely on endometrial thickness on ultrasound to reassure yourself? Right. There was a meta-analysis by UCSF radiologists showing that that's a very good way of screening for a cancer in the uterus without having to do an endometrial biopsy. And then moving on to yet another possible utilization. Now, physicians, of course, are aware of the negative impact of utilizing postmenopausal progesterone, particularly with the impact on lipids and negative side effects that decrease the rate of women who can use hormone replacement. So do you think it's premature to offer unopposed estrogen to postmenopausal women who have a progesterone IUD? Right now, the only ones I know who are doing it are female gynecologists for themselves. <laughs> right. Well, it's actually widespread practice in much of the world. Again, this indication is also approved by regulatory bodies in more than 80 countries around the world. And as you suggest, it makes very good sense for women to take estrogen by mouth or transdermally and protect the endometrium by putting something inside the uterus. It's never made much sense to me as the clinician to take progestin by mouth if you want the effect in the uterus because progestins have some unpleasant side effects. Specifically on mood, many women just can't take progestins by mouth. So here you can protect the endometrium. And the nice thing about this approach is that a very high proportion of women, for example, up to 85% of women will be totally free of bleeding within a year of starting. And that's what you want. You want estrogen on board and no uterine bleeding. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Grimes, who has given us new insight into the use of the intrauterine device for its non-contraceptive benefits. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and podcasts, visit ReachMD.com. For comments or questions, call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM157. Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lauren Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to reachmd.com forward slash women's health. Well, hello, Nancy. Hi, doctor. How's the osteoporosis medicine I prescribed working for you? Well, it's fine, doctor. But, you know, I saw this commercial for something called Avista, Reloxifene Hydrochloride. Yes, Avista. It's prescription only, and it's the one medicine that treats osteoporosis and reduces the risk of invasive breast cancer in postmenopausal women with osteoporosis. It's important to note, though, that Avista does not treat breast cancer, prevent its return, or reduce the risk of all forms of breast cancer. Am I at risk for invasive breast cancer? I don't have a family history. Well, family history is important, but there are other risk factors that I need to take into consideration, including your advancing age and personal history. And based on my risk assessment, you may be at risk. So you think Avista is right for me? Well, individual results may vary, but I think for you, the benefits of Avista would outweigh the potential risks. Let's switch you today. Well, thank you, doctor. I'm glad I asked about it. <laughs> no problem.
Avista increases the risk of blood clots and should not be used by women who have or have had blood clots in the legs, lungs, or eyes. Avista may increase the risk of dying from stroke in women at high risk for heart disease or stroke. Talk to your doctor about all your medical conditions. Seek care immediately if you have leg pain or warmth, swelling of the legs, hands, or feet, chest pain, shortness of breath, or a sudden vision change. Do not use Avista if you are pregnant, nursing, or may become pregnant, as it may cause fetal harm. Women with liver or kidney disease should use Avista with caution. Avista should not be taken with estrogens. Side effects may include hot flashes, leg cramps, and swelling. For more information about Avista, contact your Lilly sales representative, visit www.avista.com, see our ad in Good Housekeeping, or call 1-888-44-AVISTA. This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.